Welcome to Tea Time with Mary. I'm your host, Mary Jolkowski. I'm a former bikini fitness model turned self-love advocate. And this is the podcast that'll inspire you to love yourself. Hey friends, before we begin, I just wanted to let you know that this podcast episode is sponsored by my favorite books. Not literally, but I did create a book list for you with all of my favorite books for self-love and body image and self-confidence and just overall self-healing and growth. I am a huge personal growth person. And to be honest with you, a lot of the things that I talk about come from the books that I've read. I'm a big reader and I always tell my little sister, readers are leaders. And I love audiobooks. I love book books. I love Kindle. I love all the forms of books. Just give me all the goods. So I decided to create a book list for you with my top 25 favorite books. And I actually add to this list. So there's probably going to be more than 25 books on it. But I have narrowed it down to top 25 books that you need to read to start the self-love journey. I'm not saying you have to read all the books right now, but you should have this list handy dandy for when you're getting a book on Amazon or shopping in your Audible or whatever. So I've created this book list and you can get it at maryscupoftea.com slash books. And I will also put it in the show notes. And let me know how you like these recommendations by screenshotting what you're reading and tagging me in your Instagram stories. I always love seeing you use my recommendations. It just makes my whole day because we're like a little community. So anyways, maryscupoftea.com slash books. Go get it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Mary's Cup of Tea, the podcast that will inspire you to love yourself a little more. Today, I am here with Dr. Renee. And when you told me that you were coming on the show, I jumped up and down and screamed and called all my friends and my mom and my boyfriend because I'm, like I said before we press record, I'm your biggest fan, Dr. Renee. Thank you so much for being here. Wow. I love that enthusiasm. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Now now I'm excited too. That's great. Okay. Like listeners, wait till I tell you who Dr. Renee is. Remember that book that I keep telling you about in every single show on every single social media post, Beauty Sick? This is the author of that book. She's a big deal. Okay. <laughs> She's a big deal. So Besides being the author of that book, you're a psychology professor. You run a research lab called Body and Media at Northwestern University. By the way, that was like my dream school, but I didn't get in. Um, (laughs) So to think that we could have met, but now we are. Um, You're the author of Beauty Sick, How the Cultural Obsession with Appearance Hurts Girls and Women, which is the book I always rave about. And your research and writing focuses on issues surrounding women's body image issues with emphasis on like cultural forces and how, how they shape the relationship women have with their bodies. We're going to dive into all of that. Um, you're regularly interviewed by media outlets, New York Times, Chicago Tribune, The Atlantic, Vox, HuffPost. Like you're a big deal. You have a TED Talk, half of <laughs> interviews. I'm like shaking as I talk. Thank you so much for being here. I promise you I'm actually not a big deal. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm really, really not. I'm sorry. <laughs> I hope I didn't just mess up your beautiful podcast recording. Oh, it's all good. We found my email coming in, but yeah, I turned it off now. It's all good. We can edit this out or whatever. It's organic. It happens. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, but that, I mean, your work is a big deal. It really is. And I, you know, I was telling you before we started recording that I felt, you know, like I got the body image situation down. I'm like, I've dealt with my weight gain and I feel comfortable with my softness and rolls and cellulite and things like that we stereotypically see as like body image, positive body image. Um, And then what's been weighing down on me a lot lately is like how from the neck up, like I tend to forget that that's a part of my body. And it's kind of a struggle to accept that because being on social media and then on camera, and then when you're seeing people, even though right now, I guess we're mostly staying home, (laughs) but it's still this like pressure as a woman to look, I'm not even going to say pretty as much as it is like presentable. Mm-hmm. Well, that's such an interesting word, presentable, right? Um, I teach a lot about the psychology of gender. And so I, I often put a gender frame around things. And when I hear the word presentable, I think, what does that mean for women versus men, right? right. Um, what's Because presentable, we use that as like a, a just a lower standard, right? Just mm-hmm. enough to be able to be seen in public or online. Um, and it's such a different standard for men and women. Um, I've been thinking about that a lot, actually. 
uh, during the pandemic, as we spend a lot of time on Zoom, I've heard from women who feel like they have to spend a lot of time making their faces Zoom presentable um, and trying to keep their hair up, their makeup up, apologizing for how they look on camera all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I, you know, I see my male colleagues rolling out of bed and feeling just yeah. fine about it, right? No apologies necessary. And I think it's really worth thinking about how we ended up with with such high standards for women in terms of the amount of effort they're supposed to put in um, to being acceptable, right? Mm-hmm. To not offending people who look at them. Um, I think there's a lot to to question and dissect there. And I, I love that you're, you're diving into that, right? Because body image isn't just about below the neck, right? And it also mm-hmm. isn't just about weight, right? There's so many yeah. more components to it um, that don't get as much attention, I think. What are some of those? Well, so skin is something that a lot of people, but I think women in particular struggle mm-hmm. with, um, whether you have acne or birthmarks um, or scars or things like that, um, yeah. the aging process and what it does to your skin, right? We know that women are the vast majority of consumers of uh, non-cosmetic procedures that you get, um, like fillers and Botox mm-hmm. and, and things like that, or... Um, all related to how your skin looks as you age. Um, just the size of the cosmetics industry, right? Means we need to pay attention to that, um, especially with the blossoming sort of YouTube sub-industry of influencers doing makeup tutorials and things mm-hmm. like that, which has really turned um, the, the kind of makeup artistry that used to be only for professionals. It sort of made yeah. it accessible and maybe even expected for, for just everyday people All the tools, all the products, these were things that were really limited to a professional sphere for a long time. So there are a lot Mm -hmm. of these different elements that are coming into how women feel about how they look. We haven't even talked about hair, Mm -hmm. right? Um, What does that mean? What are you supposed to do to your hair to maintain Mm -hmm. it? Um, And there's a lot, of course, uh, bound up, hair concerns are bound up with racism too, right? And how we think about different types of hair as being acceptable or unacceptable. So Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know where we even start. It's a lot to think about there. I know. It's it's almost overwhelming. And then once you find one little piece of the puzzle, they all connect. Mm-hmm. Um, two things I wanted to like backtrack to is one, when you talked about aging in your book, you said that it is probably the the one beauty standard because we're always like, okay, beauty standards mm-hmm. change across time and place. And just because this culture has it this way doesn't mean that that is the end all be all, right? And you talk about in your book how aging and like, anti-aging stuff is one of those very consistent beauty standards. And because of that, like we can't escape it simply by saying like, oh, well in a different culture, like this is beautiful. You know, like (laughs) I I hear people say like with weight gain, well in Italy, you know, you'd be considered voluptuous and gorgeous, (laughs) you know? Um, But we can't really do that with aging because it's pretty stagnant amongst all cultures. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of students who like to argue with me about this because I think they, they want me to be a little more radical than I am. Um, Mm -hmm. But I really try to stay connected to what the best scientific research tells us. And there actually are a few cultural universals when it comes to beauty. Um, People like to say, oh, it's completely socially constructed. And I actually don't think that's true um, Mm -hmm. because we see things like age being um, a universal marker of beauty, meaning Mm -hmm. that youth is tied with beauty in every culture. And it doesn't mean there's not some variability, right? There are certainly Mm -hmm. some cultures that don't find um, aging women quite as disgusting and unacceptable as we seem to in this culture, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, across the world, youth and beauty are not something that people are very good at separating. Um, or you can look at, you know, other indicators like sort of smooth, blemish-free skin, right? That's mm-hmm. something that um, most people are looking for just around the world. So there are some beauty standards um, that that I don't think were created by magazines or Instagram or things like that. So how do we, and and I definitely want to hear about your story and how you got into this research, but I think we're here on like some gold. How do we address it when it's, you know, partially, like you say, it's partially biological in your book, you talk about like, there's an aspect of, of symmetry and certain things that we are kind of born attracted to like experiments on babies and who babies stare at. Right. Um, like how do we address that? It's so difficult. 
So I think a lot of people like to imagine a world um, where we can find anything and everything beautiful. Um, and I have arguments with with <laughs> colleagues and friends I very much respect, right, on this topic, where mm-hmm. where they really think the goal should be for every single person to find themselves beautiful, and we all find everyone beautiful. I don't think that's realistic, but that doesn't mean I don't think we can make a much better world than the one we live in. So the mm-hmm. metaphor I use a lot um, is is turning the volume down. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think we can erase all beauty standards or make them all completely inclusive. I think a better strategy is to simply focus less on beauty, to try to make it so it's not such a huge component of how women are evaluated and just how people are treated in general. Um, that I think we can definitely make movement on. The, the culture we're living in now is... Is like nothing we've ever seen before um, in terms of the beauty imagery that mm-hmm. bombards us every single day, right? Um, yeah. People say like, oh, it's always been like this. It has not. I, I mm-hmm. promise you, right? We've seen nothing like Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I first started in this area, I studied fashion magazines. And now I think fashion magazines, that's nothing, right? <laughs> yeah. the, the impact of a fashion magazine that you might flip through and then throw down um, is nothing compared to the hours a day People are spending scrolling on on social media. Um, we've never lived in a world where it was just a touch of a button to put a filter on. Um, mm-hmm. You and I are talking on Zoom right now, which was developed, you know, for professional conferencing and things like that. And it has a button under video settings where you can touch up your appearance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure what it actually does. I don't know, um, but it's it's so easy, right? To to be constantly trying to change your appearance um, in, in the images you post and to not realize how many of the images you're consuming have already been altered in that way. And I do yeah. think that feeds into this sort of like deep river of dissatisfaction that women have with their own appearance. Mm-hmm. And everything you see has been perfected. How, how can you not feel disappointed when you look in the mirror? Yeah, for sure. I even ha- I got a comment just yesterday that was like, I literally put a filter on and I feel better and I hate looking at my face without a filter on. I feel like I look weird. Yeah, I think this breaks my heart, right? It was it was never easy for women, right, to wrestle with these concerns. But it used to be that women felt bad that they didn't look like images of models or celebrities, mm-hmm. right, that you'd see in like magazines, TV, movies. Um, this is a really new kind of disappointment when you have to compare yourself with the unrealistic version of yourself that you created online, mm-hmm. right? When you actually feel like you're falling short of another version of yourself that doesn't even exist. Um, and I get it. Everyone wants to look good, right? Of course they do. I completely get the temptation um, to click that button to put the filter on. Um, it's one of the reasons I don't, I don't really post pictures of myself online very often. Mm-hmm. Um, my publisher would very much prefer that I did. Um, and and I just, I'm not interested in doing that, right? Because I, mm-hmm. I don't, um, I don't want to be messing around with like, do I put the filter on or do I not put it on? And how does my hair look? And have I done my makeup? And I find it a lot easier just to opt out. Yeah. I, I make memes instead. That's all, that's all I do. Yeah. And we love the memes. Those, <laughs> they make us happy. Um, I, you said about like, professionalism, right? Like things that used to be reserved for professionals, like makeup Mm -hmm. artistry and photography and videography. Like now we have Mm -hmm. so much access to so much. It's not even software because we don't even have to like use it like a software. It's literally a click of a button, like Mm -hmm. you said. Um, I mean, I definitely feel that because one thing I wrote about just yesterday, sorry, that is my dog snoring. Um, (laughs) One thing I wrote about just yesterday is that it's this catch 22 where like almost to make it right. Mm -hmm. I kind of have to like level up my photography and, you know, know the different rules for how to take a picture. Mm -hmm. And, and suddenly I find myself like literally spending an entire work day trying to set up lighting in my, in my room and spending hundreds of dollars on this kind of equipment to have brighter light and blur the background and like all these like elements that that literally I, you would use, you'd used to pay somebody to come in and do mm-hmm. and now it's like expected it is right and it's um not surprising then that the neuroses that used to be limited to celebrities have just trickled down into the mainstream right like if you feel like 
Um, you're on camera all the time. People are looking at you all the time. And you're expected to be able to airbrush and Photoshop and do the professional lighting. Um, it's, it's hard not to be worried about it, which means that you're spending that many more minutes thinking about how you look, right? Which is not a gift, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a gift to anyone. And I don't know what the answer is, right? I don't really work um, in that kind of job where I'm expected to have like a certain appearance. And I've been teaching online right now. Um, so we're not meeting in person because of the pandemic. Um, and I'm not wearing makeup, right? And that's <laughs> that's been a joy to me to be makeup free on Zoom. Um, but still, if I go give a talk somewhere in person, um, I put on makeup, right? Mm-hmm. I wear a dress. I try to put a little effort into my hair. Like it's, you can't really get away completely from those standards, right? That come along with being in the public eye. But I still think even there, you can turn it down, right? What would happen if you tried a little less makeup? What would happen if you went filter free, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I really encourage people to experiment with that. Um, It's 100% true that we live in a world where you will be judged by how you look, right? This, Mm -hmm. any, anyone who denies that is just not paying attention. We we see this happening Mm -hmm. all the time. But I think a lot of women in particular overestimate what they need to do to sort of be okay in the public sphere, right? That you actually don't need to do professional level makeup. Mm -hmm. That's so true. And it's like, um, especially in day-to-day life, like talk about showing up on Zoom call during a a pandemic, like (laughs) really don't need that. And nobody comments. I mean, (laughs) hopefully not. Yeah. Anyone who comments, I think, has to work on some of their own issues. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I'm so interested how you got into this work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I am assuming you have some personal attachment or revelations throughout your journey. Um, can we hear a little bit more about that? Sure. I always feel like I disappoint people when I'm asked about my journey because I don't, I don't have the journey that a lot of people are expecting. Um, like I think a lot of people... Um, assume that like maybe I had an eating disorder when I was young, or maybe this is something that um, body image is something I really struggled with. But my interest in this topic actually came out in a really different way, which that it, it wasn't something I thought about much. Um, and then I started teaching college students. Um, and if you teach psychology, you find that you, a lot of the college students you teach are women because they're um, the overwhelming number of psychology students. And I got interested when I really became aware of how much time they were spending worried about how they looked um, and how complex the issue was. I don't think I understood that right away. Um, In the beginning, I was like, oh, they just need to have some media literacy and everything's going to be fine, Um, which is not how it works. But that's how I got into this because I love teaching. Um, It's it's what I spend the most, the biggest part of my time on. Um, My students mean a lot to me and I I think they're amazing and I think they have so much potential and it makes me sort of viscerally angry when I see that potential get blocked um, by women who are worrying about they gained five pounds or they have a blemish on their skin or that, you know, their hair is not right. Um, I think there's such an injustice in that in, in a culture that can, even if temporarily, right, sidetrack some of these really bright minds from going out there and doing all the cool things they can do because they're so worried about how they look. Um, and so yeah. that's how I got into this, really. It was more a, a concern about, about my students than it was about myself. Although it's, it's been interesting to continue doing this work as I move into middle age, right? You start to have a, mm-hmm. a different perspective on these things. Yeah. I mean, even as you say that, it, like, it hurts just how much brain space it takes up. Mm-hmm. And... I even find that the most like, I like to use the word high performing women. And by that, I mean like, you know, that term of type A personality and gets really good grades and does all the sports and the clubs and like does things the way that girls and women are supposed to move through life and pleases the parents and like, you know, by the book kind of situation. And I very much identify with that. And I almost find that, you know, you'd think that because I'm so involved in academics that I wouldn't be so focused on my appearance because I'm spending so much time studying, but like actually, and what you wrote in your book is that no, actually I'm like sacrificing sleep to like even upkeep my appearance that much more because it's like more expected of people who 
have grown up to feel pressured, you know, like to perform and pressured to Mm -hmm. get good grades and pressured in, in so many different ways. And literally almost every single guest I've had on this podcast who is doing similar body image work have all had a similar story of like, well, I grew up. getting really good grades and really wanting to make my parents proud. And I went to college and like, that's a lot of the women that are listening as well, that it's not that we're just, you know, sitting around watching makeup tutorials on YouTube. It's that it's like an additional responsibility to all these other amazing things we're accomplishing. And yet the appearance thing, it's like never enough. Mm -hmm. I think it's part of it, right? When you're, you're sort of in the high achieving set, um, I think there's a lot of perfectionism involved there. And a lot, unfortunately, at what drives people is this feeling of needing to be at all, right? Needing to, mm-hmm. to do it all and to give this impression of kind of like effortless, flawless perfection. Yeah. And so it makes sense, you know, if you think about how much women are defined by how they look, managing your appearance just becomes one more thing you're supposed to be good at. Mm-hmm. Um, and it becomes one more thing you're supposed to manage and control And I think it's also an acknowledgement of how brutal this world can be, especially to women in the public eye at all. Um, So I'm including online, right? Women who have anything to say, um, people will attack you for your looks, right? It's a way that we try to silence a lot of women in this culture. And so sometimes I I think we imagine that if we just work hard enough, um, if we just manage our appearance enough, that we can protect ourselves from that kind of brutality. Um, When the truth is you can't right? It doesn't matter what you look like. This culture will find something wrong with how you look. Um, there's, there's, there's no level of appearance management you can do that's going to please people who don't like what you're saying, right? Mm-hmm. You, you just can't do it. Similar to like what you shared with um, your journey, do you think that, and I, I know your answer, but I just want to reiterate that I mean, I had an eating disorder growing up and like a lot of body image concerns and it's like plagued my whole life and took a lot of rewriting. But I know that so many people are like, well, I don't know if I have an eating disorder. Like, you know, sometimes I choose a salad over whatever delicious thing I want to eat, but like, Mm -hmm. I can't say that it's like ruining my life, but I am like really obsessed with my weight or my body or my appearance. Um, and that's why I recommend your your book in particular so much. And there are so many other books in that space that I could talk about. But the reason why yours landed with me the most is because the woman that that you interview and talk to in the book, mm-hmm. they're, they're so normal. They're, they're not like these dramatic stories of I almost died in the hospital during recovery. And I think in the online space, it's very easy to get really sucked into that, that even your struggle has to look a certain kind of way. Um, And what I love about your book is that it's like, it's normal. I love the twins, the twins who grew up wearing their dad's t-shirts. And then at some point during puberty, like realized that it wasn't okay to like dress like a a boy anymore because there were certain ways to like, you know, look as a girl Mm -hmm. Um, at such a young age. I think their age was like 11, you said? Mm -hmm. Or they started... I, I think it's really important to sort of acknowledge what you're saying here that um, this kind of appearance worry and appearance struggle um, is not rare, right? It doesn't mean you have a disorder. It doesn't mean that you're vain or um, selfish or arrogant, right? Um, what it means is that you've just been paying attention. It means you've been listening to the messages that we give women in this culture and you heard them and they affected you. Right. And, and how could they not, right? How could they not affect you when you're, you're swimming in it all the time, whether you realize it or not? Um, so to me, this is, this is part of what it means in this culture to grow up as a woman is to be told that the most important thing you have to offer the world is beauty. Right. And one of the ways that can show itself is in eating disorders, right? As you're trying to, um, you know, manage body size given our, intense focus on the size and shape of women's bodies. But those kind of pressures can manifest themselves in all sorts of ways, right? They can manage, uh, manifest themselves in the, the hours you spend at the salon, right? Or the, the money you feel like you have to spend on makeup or on plastic surgery after plastic surgery, or just spending a lot of time in front of the mirror, right? Fussing and worrying and being distracted. 
Um, I have a lot of people who say like, oh, you're an eating disorders expert. And I have to say, no, not really, right? Like that's not, um, that's not actually what I do. Um, eating disorders are important to talk about because they have, they can have such big impacts on your, on your health, right? And um, such sort of like downstream effects on mental health. And because especially when it comes to anorexia, because they can kill you, right? So like, it's important to talk about eating disorders um, but eating disorders are really more of a range than people realize. Um, when I'll have people ask me all the time, well, does this mean I have an eating disorder or not? Um, and <laughs> I, so I, te- I teach a class on abnormal psychology called psychopathology. Um, and probably a lot of your listeners have heard of the DSM, right? Which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. And so if you go see a therapist, a psychiatrist, or any, anyone like that, um, and ask if you have an eating disorder, what they'll do is see if you meet the criteria um, laid out in that book um, for anorexia or bulimia or binge eating disorder um, or the sort of like other specified, right? The sort of the, the other disorders, right? That don't have official names yet. Um, but even if you don't meet those criteria, which we have to admit are quite arbitrary, like the idea that X number of binges a month means you have uh, bulimia. Whereas if you do one less than that, you don't, right? There are arbitrary distinctions. Um, So even if you don't cross that threshold officially, there's a whole range of of what I would call eating disordered attitudes and behaviors um, that can be having a negative impact on your life. Um, And a lot of these are attitudes and behaviors that we not only consider normal in this culture, but that we encourage, right? Like um, focusing intensely on weight gain, we encourage, right? Um, keeping like really detailed counts of exactly what you eat and how many calories and how much you exercise, right? Doing that kind of logging, we, we encourage that sort of thing. We sell systems for it. Um, and a, a lot of these behaviors that we, we like, we call them health behaviors. We say, no, it's about health, right? Anyone who's had an eating disorder knows what those things are. They look at those and they think, no, right? That's not just health, right? There's something going on there and you're sort of tiptoeing into these waters that are not a great place to be in. Um, but I think we use this sort of like healthism um, as a way to disguise a lot of behavior that as a psychologist, I would step back and say, that's eating disordered behavior. That's mm-hmm. dangerous. That's not healthy. Um, but you know, we think it's cute when you're doing it in the name of health. And more recently, fitness. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, my background is in bikini competitions and fitness industry. And the one thing that I've said so many times and I've stepped on so many toes, but I still stand by it no matter how many death threats I will get is that the fitness industry was a safe haven for my eating disorder. My eating disorder was like, oh yeah, this is amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like I can just say it's about health, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I I have people ask me all the time. They're like, don't you think all this fitspiration online is awesome? (laughs) And I, there was a a really great study done. I forget the authors right now, but, um, they basically looked at thinspiration images, um, in social media, which, um, Mm -hmm. a lot of women struggling with eating disorders, um, seek out that kind of content that comes from a lot of like pro anorexia and pro bulimia, um, sites. So they looked at the difference between thinspiration and fitspiration and found, not surprisingly, that they weren't different, right? That you really couldn't tell the difference. Like they were the same kinds of messages. They were almost always the same kind of body shape being shown. Um, You know, fitness isn't inspiring if the message is that you have to look like a model to be fit, right? So when people say like, no, I'm just trying to inspire people to be fit, um, I always want to ask like, what kind of body diversity are you showing, right? in your images. Um, is, is it really about fitness or is it about how you look? Right? Yeah. One thing that fascinates me is how it's yesterday I was hiking and a woman ran by me and um, she was like, you know, out of breath because she was running and, and she like kind of stops and looks at me and we're neighbors or I was walking. I was not hiking. I was walking in the neighborhood mm-hmm. and she's like, oh, I'm so out of shape. So (laughs) by me, yeah, she felt the need to apologize. And then in this like very socially acceptable term of out of shape. And if we think about what that means, like, what is this out of shape? Like there's this shape that you're out of. What what shape is that exactly? Right. 
And I'm like, meanwhile, like I'm like lazily walking step by step. It's really hot in Arizona and she's running. And it was this like apologetic behavior that she was apologizing for the fact that she was running and taking up space and breathing and heavily. breathing. Like, yes, yeah. She was apologizing for breathing. If that's not the most woman thing, um, <laughs> I don't know what it is. Right. right. Um, I, it's, it's really hard for me even to, to think about these topics because they're really, it's just, there's such ugliness here and such unfairness, right? Because fitness should be about joy, right? It should be about um, taking pleasure in how your body moves, um, learning about it, like feeling strong, feeling powerful. Um, the idea that you constantly have to apologize for for not meeting a certain fitness standard or for not having a body that's a certain shape. How can you feel joy in exercise when that's what's on your mind? But I, when I think back to that story you just said, I think there's something else going on here too, which is I imagine that woman, she encountered you and she looked at your body and she looked at her body and she started doing like some kind of comparison because I think um, as women, we are trained to do that, right? Yeah. It's really hard to turn it off when you encounter another woman, you kind of check her out, right? Yeah. How do I stand compared to her? How do I stand oh, yeah. And then there's this immediate need to engage in it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to judge, to apologize, to do some backhanded snark, right? What, whatever right. it is that happens. Um, it's, it's so hard to think about this. There's a, a book called The Beauty Myth um, mm-hmm. that wrote about this. Uh, the author wrote about this a long time ago, decades ago now, um, that part of what our beauty culture does is make women feel like they're constantly in competition with each other. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's really hard not to, to be comparing yourself all the time. And fitness settings are one of the big settings where that happens. Yeah. Right? Because there's so many different variables you can compare yourself on. Um, and I just always want to like shake women and say like, who's benefiting from this when you're competing with each other, when you're tearing each other down, like you're not benefiting, other women aren't benefiting, somebody is, right? And, yeah. it, and it's not you, right? It's people who sell things to you um, and who rely on your feeling vulnerable to sell you those things. Uh, we should be, we should be more angry about this. We should be angry about the fact that our first instinct is to compare our body to another woman's body. Oh yeah. Because I would, that didn't happen by accident. No, I would bet that 80% of my DMs are, they start like this. When people want to strike up a conversation with me, they will be like, mm-hmm. I was the bigger girl growing up, or my body is similar to yours, or my body is a little bit bigger to yours, or my body is a little bit bigger like this, but not like this. And blah, and that's how that, that's literally the first line of mm-hmm. probably 80% of my DMs of, of girls and women reaching out because it's a way that, yes, we relate to each other, but with relating comes comparing. And it's those conversations that we see so normal, like, oh, mm-hmm. my, I got to get in shape or my thighs. Oh no, stop it. Like, you're great. Mm-hmm. Look at mine, you know? Mm-hmm. And it goes both ways. Even when we are doing it with the intention of trying to uplift one another, it it's just as toxic. It is. And I don't think we mean to do this at all, but the message you're sending then is I am my body. I am my body. You are your body. What we have to talk about is the shape of our bodies. What, right? Like, mm-hmm. The more we give room to those kinds of conversations, the more we're really reinforcing this idea that your body shape is what matters, right? That it's, that it's yeah. who you are, that it's what we need to be focusing on. Um, I love to imagine a world where we're given even a little more freedom to focus on other things. Yeah. Right? I'm so curious about what those things would be, mm-hmm. right? What would women do if they like got some of that time back and got some of that energy back? Um, yeah. you know, how would their lives look different? How would our world look different? Um, that's, that's something I, I sort of ask myself and other people a lot. I want to know what that looks like. I still think we can, right? Yeah. I don't know that we're moving in that direction now, but I still think there's potential. Let me know if you agree with this, but I found that with the rise of feminism, I was like moving in a a great direction. And this is just based on my own pleasure research in the seventies, eighties, nineties, not that I was alive, but um, then with like technology coming into that equation, we've kind of went backwards with not technology, but social media, because now instead of like women kind of rising up to the rights of men and the, the freedoms, I would say of men that have been around for millennia, um, it's almost like 
men are now feeling that pressure too, if that makes sense. So like the, the standards for women are trickling into the standards for men. And instead of us being free from them, it's like now we're all, I mean, my boyfriend's talked to me about this, like, well, you're not the only one that deals with body image stuff because look at this and this and this and men's magazine and the people I follow and something random that shows up on it, my TikTok feed that's telling me about a workout or a protein shake or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think it's with fitness culture as well, but it's, it's almost like, it's just, we say that we've been making prom- progress as like a feminist society, but in this particular area, it's almost backwards. So it's interesting. I talk to my students sometimes about binge drinking, right? Because mm-hmm. it used to be that uh, men were just the dominant binge drinkers on campus um, and women are catching up. So men still binge drink more, but the the gap is much smaller. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the example you're using here, right? Like this isn't really the kind of equality that anyone's looking for, yeah. right? Um, but I, I also have to say, I, I do agree that men are starting to face more pressures, right? And particularly when it comes to muscularity, um, there's yeah. much more pressure than there used to be for men. But I also have to say, it's not uncommon for me to do any kind of talk or anything on this topic. And the first question I get is, what about men? Why aren't you talking about men? Um, and, and people get really upset about it. I get like horrible, threatening emails about this. Um, and Part of the answer is, well, I focus on women because that's what I research, right? Um, researchers yeah. have a focus and and that's mine. Right. And there actually are people who focus on men's yeah, body. If you want to focus on men, yeah. go focus on men. Right. There, there are specialists in that area and I'm not that person. Um, but my other answer is that um, we are still very far away from living in a world where the appearance pressures men face are the same as the pressures women face. Now, that doesn't speak to individual experiences, right? There are some individual men who who are having really, really difficult struggles in this area. Mm-hmm. So that is absolutely real. That's not to say that's not happening. But um, you only have to look at the fact that around 90% of plastic surgeries around the world, right, um, women are the ones getting them done, right? There's, there's something gendered about this topic and that that hasn't gone away, right? So I, while I do think men are facing some more pressures, so are women. Right. Mm-hmm. So it could be just an example of something that's getting worse for everybody. Um, and I don't think sort of second wave feminism did much to fix this problem. Mm-hmm. It's not a it's not a criticism. Right. Um, it's it's just sort of a reality you see looking around. Instead, what we see is um, a lot of industries that are co-opting the sort mm-hmm. of like faux feminist, soft feminist message to sell beauty products. Yep. Right. Um, and we should find this enraging, right? Feminism is about something quite serious, right? It's about inequality and suffering, right? It's it's yeah. about real issues. And when people try to sell straightening shampoo under the guise of feminism, right? We should laugh and then we should get angry. And instead, I think sometimes we get the sense of like, yeah, it's empowering. Um, mm-hmm. It's empowering to spend all this time on our appearance. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not judging anyone who, I think there are women who really enjoy makeup. They enjoy playing around with hair. Like, like they're into it. It's their thing. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. But I hear too many women who think that their choices around beauty are free, mm-hmm. right? They'd be like, I decided. I decided to care this much, right? I decided because I like it. Um, and I think you don't know that. You don't know how much was free because you never got to live in a world where people didn't care so much, right? Yeah. You never got to live in a world where you could walk down the street without being catcalled, right? Mm-hmm. Or a world where people wouldn't say, oh, you look tired when you didn't wear makeup to work, right? You mm-hmm. don't know how much of that is freely chosen because you never got to live in that world. Um, interestingly, I've had several women tell me that since um, we've been uh, sheltering in place or whatever you want to call it um, for the pandemic, that they've started to question the narrative they had about, no, I wear makeup for me, right? Yeah. Because they think, if I was wearing it for me, how come I'm not wearing it now? Right? Yep. How come I'm not wearing it when no one sees me? That was a big um, truth bomb for me personally. It's been really interesting. Like, yeah. um now, I, I do know some women who are finding it helpful to once in a while put on makeup and do their hair and like to try to like get that yeah. sense of normal again. And I completely understand that too. Um, but, you know, when you say, I wear these uncomfortable clothes for me, 
but I've been wearing nothing but sweatpants and soft things um, since I've stayed at home. <laughs> I think you're wearing them for you because you are unlucky enough to live in a culture where that's the source of power you had. Yeah. Um, and I don't judge anyone for trying to take it. Right? And not to nitpick at your words, but even what you said is a lot of women do do their hair and makeup during this quarantine mm-hmm. to get a sense of normalcy. Right, right. And why Why is that so Why normal? is that the normalcy? Right. Um, My boyfriend I, gets a sense yeah. of normalcy by going to the drive-thru at Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> I get a sense of normalcy by doing my mascara. Like what? Right. What's what's going on there? I've really enjoyed. <laughs> I hope this is okay to talk about. We were having our faculty meetings in my department on Zoom. Um, and most people have their cameras on, which I think is nice. I, I like seeing everyone's face. Um, like normally I'm against people having to be on camera a lot. But for me, this is something like, oh, we can connect, right? But it's hard not to notice. And what I I've talked to a lot of men who think it's hysterical, like their hair's growing weird. They let their kid cut it, right? Or their spouse <laughs> cut it. It's like, or, or they just like use clippers and took it all off, right? It's been a while. Um, but I, I don't think the women are finding it quite so fun, right? They're not seeing it as this like interesting experience and who mm-hmm. cares and let's see what happens. Um, you know, my yeah. mom is almost 70 uh, and she's, She's sheltering in place uh, with her husband and she's worried about her gray, right? And she'll say, I know you say I shouldn't worry, Renee. I know you don't want me to worry, (laughs) but I don't like it and I don't like seeing it. And and I was like, nobody's seeing it, mom. (laughs) So I think that's how deep this goes is that for a lot of women, like those cultural messages are so deep. You can't have gray hair that even if they're really the only one seeing it, um, it still feels bad. Um, yeah. I don't know. I've been I've been enjoying the the no makeupness. I put <laughs> I had to, I did like a really brief um, appearance on local news, and so I, d- I did put on makeup for that because you kind of need it for for camera. And I wondered how it would feel. I thought like would it make me feel kind of like I don't know more out in the world, more myself. And instead, I completely resented that I had to take it off before bed. <laughs> I, I was like, oh, my life. this was like such a waste of time. I can't believe I'm yeah. going to take this makeup off for a two minute appearance. Like, I, I wish I, I wish I hadn't done that. Um, yeah. See, I hate putting it on the act of it. It. Mm-hmm. I just get, t- I don't have like a vanity set up. So it's, I'm literally yeah. like bent over my counter up close, like yeah. not glamorous. Um, but I had a very similar experience where uh, a fellow like influencer in the space posted, my makeup is therapy. And I really like all her other stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And she's not always like dolled up, so to speak. Again, the words we use, right? Dolled mm-hmm. up. Um, but I saw, she was like, makeup is therapy. And at this point it was like one month into quarantine. And mm-hmm. I was like, you know, never. And I'm like, let me try it. Let's see about this therapy situation. Let's see what it gives Mm -hmm. for me. And I put on makeup and I did an Instagram story. And I was like, I was inspired by so-and-so to wear makeup because it was therapy. And it was so much fun putting it on. And literally the second I got off camera, like probably an hour later, I started feeling like angsty that I couldn't Mm -hmm. rub my eyes or that Mm -hmm. like I don't know, drinking water because I had lipstick on or just like these little things where I'm like, I need to like tear off this mask, like mm-hmm. tear it off. And this is when I do like a, a full face, especially the foundation is what really like starts yeah. to hurt me inside. And I just need, and I just took it off midday. And like old Mary would have been like, no, like you got done up. So now take pictures and like take advantage of it. And mm-hmm. like all this stuff, like don't waste a good face. That's what my friend used to don't say. Waste a good face. Oh. Yeah. This one time my best friend called me and said, I was supposed to go on this date with this guy and he stood me up and I can't believe I spent two hours doing makeup for him and not to mention all my makeup is from Mac. So that's probably like $30 down the drain there. Like that was literally her complaint. It wasn't that, hey, I'm hurt because I got rejected. It was that I can't believe that I spent so much time into my appearance and wasted (sighs) a good face. Oh, if if this weren't a podcast, if this were on video, your listeners would have seen my like mouth drop open. (laughs) Yeah, it's jaw dropping. I don't don't know why I continue to be be surprised, right? But but I am. But maybe, um, you know, I'm sort of. I I don't love it when people are like, "Well, the silver lining of quarantine is X." Right? There, there are too many people (laughs) suffering and Mm -hmm. too many people dying. I think think about it that way. Um, but I do think it might be an interesting time for some women to sort of experiment with 
what is empowering, what isn't empowering. Um, when you're scared, when you're anxious, when you're overwhelmed, that can be a time where it becomes really clear what is important to you, right? Um, what sort of rises to the top when you can't do everything? What is it that you keep doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and what I see a lot of people keep doing is um, staying connected to family members, right? Checking yeah. in on people, like um, really fostering the relationships that that matter to them and showing people that they matter and sending gifts and making chalk art, right? Like doing all these kinds mm-hmm. of things. Um, and if that's what rises to the top, I think what we need to ask ourselves is, well, how do we keep that stuff up there, mm-hmm. right? What, whatever ended up actually being important to us, how can we make sure that we're giving more time to that and a little less time um, to beauty management, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think you need to go down to zero. Like I'm not, I'm not that person. Um, but, but maybe you want to like think of it as a, a pie chart, right? And, and change, change the pieces of the pie a little, right? Like mm-hmm. make the pieces that really matter to you bigger um, and maybe make the beauty management a little smaller. Like you say, tone it down. Yeah, yeah. So just, what are some ways that we can tone it down? One thing I wanted to let you in on is for me, I don't spend as much time doing it mm-hmm. as I do thinking about doing it. Yeah, yeah. And that's like what gets is because like on the surface, it's like Mary's doing a great job. Like she'll wear makeup like once a week and my audience, you know, they kind of know when I am right Mm because they know that the rest of the days I don't because my therapist is like two days, Mary, two days and the rest you show up as you are. Wait, so I hope this is okay to say. Yeah, you're definitely wearing makeup now. I'm definitely wearing makeup now. You're not wearing makeup for me, are you? I'm not wearing makeup for you. I'm wearing makeup because it's Friday and Friday is one of my two days. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to make, I just wanted to make sure. Um, yeah. That's, that's, so that's Friday funny. is one of my two days and my first day is usually like Monday, Tuesday. And then <laughs> weekend are like my buffer. I literally had to work out a system because I think at first it's very important to have like rules for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you just think about it, then you run like, I mean, at least for me, I run myself into a rabbit hole of thinking about it and feeling guilty and shameful. But mm-hmm. once I start executing and kind of like rewriting, uh, like, what is it called? Like retraining my brain, like habits wise. Yeah. yeah. Once I retrain that habit, then it's a lot easier for me to like feel liberated, um, and have that, what you call like agency, right? The choice. Um, cause so much of it is so internalized. So yeah, mm-hmm. Tuesdays and Fridays are kind of like my, my thing lately. You've got such a cool data collection opportunity going here, right? I hope you <laughs> can really like notice like how you feel different or what you do differently on those different days. It's, it's so, it's so fascinating. It's the freedom in, um, rules, right? Mm-hmm. It's like structure is freedom. And I've always been a big believer in that. Um, mm-hmm. I think even in my eating disorder recovery, like at first you kind of have to have that structure of like, you need to eat. Um, mm-hmm. and in a similar way, like I find a lot of freedom and structure, like, okay, I don't go on my phone one hour in the morning because that's so much easier to abide to than like, mm-hmm. I'm going to spend less time on my yeah. phone. That's so yeah. vague, right? It's everything that they teach us about goal setting and achieving. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it was really much that structure of like, Mary, you get two days, sometimes three, if it's a weekend and you want to, and you're going somewhere and the rest of the days, I challenge you to show up as you are. Mm-hmm. And yeah. It's been amazing because now on Wednesday and Thursday, I don't even think about it. Oh, that's lovely. I love that. I totally distracted you from your your really good point earlier, um, which was this this issue with how how hard it is to change our thoughts, oh. right? How it's so it's so much easier in some ways to change some behaviors than it is thoughts. Um, mm-hmm. But as a as a psychologist, like what I'm often reminding people is that your thoughts and your behaviors are connected. Right. So if it's easier to change your behaviors, then do that. Right. And eventually your behaviors will start affecting your thoughts as well. So if you talk less about how you look, you will think less about how you look. Right. And it could be in the beginning that you're having these appearance thoughts and they want to come out and you say to yourself, nope, right. I'm not doing that today. Um, And that'll keep happening for a while. But eventually, right, that'll, that'll sort of trickle down to where it affects your, your thoughts too. So one of the practices I really encourage women to try if, if they're wanting to make some changes in this area is to stop talking about how they look and how other people look, right? Not just you, 
but yeah. other people. And I think you'd be shocked at how difficult it is at first, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. So you'll sort of catch it coming out of your mouth and, and then pull back. Um, I've particularly talked to a lot of parents about this who are raising daughters and they're sort of worried that their body image issues are leaking out mm-hmm. right? and affecting their daughters. And one of the things I'll encourage parents to do is just make their home a place where they don't talk about how people look. Um, because the message is, that's not what's important here. We talk about other things. Um, so yeah. that's one thing you can try. But also, I think people really underestimate the power of distraction, right? We've gotten so used to talking about distraction as a bad thing, right? Because oh. it keeps you from doing the things you want to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but when your brain is going somewhere, you don't want it to go. One of the last things that will ever work is just trying to suppress it, right? right. Just like, no, I'm not going to think about that. I'm not going to think about that, right? It'll just bounce back. You'll think about it more. Um, and so instead, what you want to do is give your brain something else to do. Yeah. So if you're getting kind of like stuck in the mirror and, and stuck um, thinking all kinds of mean things about your body, about how you look, um, if, you're, if that sort of obsessive cycle is starting, one of the best ways to break it is to have a sort of toolkit ready of other things you like to do. Um, and one of a great source of distraction, I mean, like I like videos of pandas playing personally, but... Um, <laughs> A great source of distraction that has like a double benefit is to do something for someone else, right? Because mm-hmm. part of what's happening when you start ruminating about how you, how you look is you get very self-focused. And if you're one of many, many, many women that struggle with anxiety or depression or some combination of anxiety and depression, right, that self-focus can actually end up being really debilitating. Um, and so one of the things you can do is get out of your own head by thinking about someone else instead. Um, so you can do something nice for someone else. That's a really great thing to do. It doesn't have to be big. Like sometimes people feel overwhelmed by that. I don't mean you have to buy a gift and deliver it. Um, so maybe you have a list of people who matter to you. And every time you start to get caught right in your negative body image spiral, you take a moment to send one of those people a really nice text right? Where you say something you love about them or explain why they matter to you or send an email or um, young people don't usually like to hear this, but uh, write a letter, an old fashioned letter, (laughs) right? And put it in the mail. That means so much to people because they can hold on to it. Um, Or, you know, just do something nice for someone, you know, make a meal for your partner or, um, you know, just any little thing you can find. Um, It's very hard to feel bad about yourself when you're doing something kind for someone else. Oh yeah. When in doubt, focus out. That was something that was like ingrained in me um, when with my first ever life coach. And mm-hmm. the way I did that was like, okay, I'm going to write something for social media and talk about how I'm feeling and tell women why they, you know, are worthy of so much more. Um, that was like my way of like when in doubt, focus out. And I also mm-hmm. think there's a difference between distracting yourself and an intentional shift of focus, mm-hmm. like an intentional, intentional rewriting of the brain space that I'm using right now. Mm-hmm. Um, like big difference. And I, I guess the difference lies in, in intention and like what you're doing is to me distracting is like, well, I'm going to go run to burn off this bloat that I'm feeling. Right. That's like mm-hmm. not helpful. <laughs> Whereas I'm going to go do some yoga and get, start feeling into my body instead of looking at my body. Mm-hmm. That's a totally different situation. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, your your motives for that sort of thing, I think, really matter, right? Because your your motives are an expression of your values in that moment. Yeah, for sure. And with the reaching out, I think a lot of people think, well, I don't want to talk to my friends about that I'm feeling bad about my body. But that's not what you're saying. It's just like, send them a hello. Mm-hmm. Um, my best friend says like, hey, I'm feeling kind of down. So you're part of my self-love network. What's up? That's literally what she says to me. Yeah. My self-love network. And I love that. That's an amazing thing. Like, or think about, I mean, people, people like to be thought of. Like one of the best gifts you can give someone is to let them know that, that they're in your mind, even when they're not present. Right. So if you send a a text or a message that says, I've just been thinking about you and wondering how you're doing. um, I hope you're good. Right. You don't have to ask for a reply. You don't have to like put that onto someone who might not have the time then. Um, or I think it can be really nice to uh, I, I encourage people to spend time on compliments, like to maybe even have a notebook or something where it's like, if you had like one last chance to tell this person what they mean to you or what you love about them, what would you say? Right. And then why not send one or two of those along now? Yeah. Right? yeah. Why not share some of that now? 
back when I was uh, dating, I found this piece of advice that relates to both compliment giving and um, what you talked about, how we talk about ourselves in the household, especially Mm -hmm. when there's children around. And my little sister is almost 12 um, and she's definitely feeling the pressures of society, even though she's the brightest light. Um, But I've seen her on your your Instagram page, her big smile. (laughs) She's amazing. And she's so inspiring. I've gotten messages that say, I only follow you for your sister. And I'm like, like, I accepted. I accepted. Totally cool. I follow me for my sister too. (laughs) So she's just this bright light. um, But obviously I spend most of my time thinking about how to make the world a safer place for her. Not because I think I could change everybody, but just the immediate Mm -hmm. family and and what we talk about. And um, a question came up from, from one of the women that I work with. And she was like, well, does that mean like I can never compliment anyone or my kid or like tell them they look good or Mm -hmm. that their dress looks good on them? And it shot me back to when I was dating and this piece of advice that I found deep in the YouTube rabbit hole of how to make a man fall in love with you. Um, (laughs) And the, the dating coach guy said that the way we talk, and he's like a connection specialist is what he calls himself. And his stuff is actually really good. But he said something along the lines of like, there's a difference between saying like, Hey, that, those jeans look hot on you. And I love the way you styled that. Like, I love the way you styled that is a character compliment and like a compliment on the effort or the artistic ability. And my sister is very into like fashion and styling and art and, and things like that. And of course, like she wants me to notice when she put together a cute outfit. So I don't Mm -hmm. want to not comment on that. I try to give her compliments like that. Not like, oh, you know, you look so cute, reaffirming that how you look matters. Mm-hmm. And instead, I love that you, how you paired this together or did you have fun with it? You look so like it's an expression of your personality or it looks like you're feeling spunky today or like something of that nature that's just a little mm-hmm. bit more elevated. I, I don't know if that... Yeah, I mean, I certainly, yeah, I would certainly prefer those kinds of compliments to just, um, especially the way we do with little girls. We would just say, you're so pretty, you're so beautiful. And um, and I have, I've had some moms say like, oh, but, uh, you know, if my daughter puts a lot of work into like looking nice for a special occasion, I want to tell her that she looks beautiful. And I completely understand that impulse. But the message you're sending then is when you put a lot of work in, you look beautiful. Right. Um, and so to me, that's the last time you want to be talking to someone about how they look. Like if I wanted to talk to a young girl about how she looked, it would be when she was feeling most herself, most engaged, most happy, right. Most interested, most curious. Um, that's when I think you want to reinforce that. But I've had other mothers tell me that I, one was really powerful because she said, but when I tell my daughter, she's beautiful, I'm not talking about how she looks. What I mean is that she lights up my world. And I said, then tell her that. that. That's amazing. Tell her that. So um, I do think sometimes, especially with children, when we're, when we compliment their looks, we really are saying, sorry, my hair's caught in my headphones. Um, Yeah. What your listeners cannot see is that my hair is caught in my headphones. Um, So when we talk to young children about, you know, when when we give those appearance compliments, I think we often do mean something else. But if you mean something else, then say something else, right? Um, If you only compliment your daughter every time she dresses up in her princess outfit about how pretty she is, ooh, that's a weird message to send, right? That's a message about what we consider beautiful and what it entails to get there and what kind of people are allowed to be beautiful. And um, I think I I have a lot of people ask, well, what is the right amount of times that I can compliment how someone looks? Like what amount is okay? I don't know, right? I don't have that kind of number. I don't have that kind of data. But what I do know is that we live in a world that is always focused on how women look. And I don't know that we need to add ammunition there. Um, I also think you can trust yourself in your relationship. Um, If it's someone you're close to and you love them, you know what's going on with them. And when it's okay to say something about how they look and when it's not. Um, what I really worry about are appearance compliments that make people start thinking about their appearance when they otherwise wouldn't have. 
right? That, like when you're in a work setting and someone's like, oh, you look so great in that skirt. And now you're thinking about how your legs look in that skirt, right? That's, Dr. Renee, yes. that piece of research in your book mm-hmm. where the it was like a setup in the lab. And then when they exited the lab, somebody paid them a compliment and they reported having more body image struggles after somebody paid them a compliment mm-hmm. than before. And it didn't matter whether the compliment was coming from a man or a woman. Mm-hmm. It was just like this focus. And suddenly, if somebody compliments <sighs> our shirt, we feel like, oh my God, like, is my stomach sticking out? Mm-hmm. That, at, can I cuss? That fucked me up. Well, it's really, it's so interesting because it's tied with a, a culture that trains women to not accept compliments to begin with, right? So the minute someone compliments how you look, your reaction is going to be to to argue, right? To say like, oh, that's a beautiful dress. Oh, I got it on sale, right? Or, oh, you look really great today, but I could have spent more time on my hair, right? Or something like that. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not saying that no compliment is ever okay, but it is true that compliments make you think about how you look. And I've had a lot of people say, but I feel good. Right. Um, like I feel good when people compliment my appearance. Um, as a psychology professor, I will say there are individual differences, right? Not everything affects everyone the same way. We know this is true. But I think it's worth considering the possibility that you feel good for a moment and what you feel after that is more focused on your appearance. Um, and that it can start that internal dialogue where it's like, well, how do I look? Right. What else is going on with how I look? Is that person looking at how I look? Mm hmm better suck it in, right? Like that, that can be the next step in that thought process. Yeah. I feel that on a visceral level that, that really messed me up because I just feel like that piece of research, it just, like you said, it shows so many different layers and so many different aspects of how we act as women and how we internalize those messages and how they sometimes have the, the converse effect that we intend them to. And, and again, I'm not, I mean, at least I try not to be extreme, although I do feel like I'm such a deep thinker and I never want it to like go over people's heads or like the word radical really resonates with me. Like I, I never want to be somebody that people look at and be like, well, I could never do that. That's so extreme, all this stuff. That's why your chapter on just toning it down. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not telling you to not put on lipstick anymore. Like I'm sure so many of us like lipstick, but like tone it down, just take a little inventory. Like how much are you thinking about it? How much money are you spending? How much energy, how much time, what could you do be doing that with that instead? Like all those aspects that you present in the book. I mean, it's, it's been revolutionary for me and I just, I'm going to start crying, but like, I cannot oh. thank you enough. Cause like you verbalize all these things that I was feeling. And especially as like somebody in this, like self-love body positivity, kind of, as we know it in 2020 space, um, it, I felt this pressure to have everything figured out. And I don't think I realized like how deeply ingrained it was in me and that it's not going to be overnight and just, you know, accept my weight gain and like my, my body, take a picture of my cellulite and here we are, we're good. You know, it's (laughs) going to be like a constant unlearning of, um, the word that you use is disproportionate emphasis on women's appearance. And that word really resonates with me a lot too, that it's, it's a disaster. Um, yeah, we have a I, long way to go, but small yeah. steps matter, right? Yeah. They, they build yeah. on each other. They get magnified over time. And yeah. the other really cool thing is when you take a small step in this area, sometimes without even realizing it, what you're doing is you're giving other women room to stay, to do the same, right? Yeah. You're, you're giving them space, right? To consider those same types of changes. And I just think we just don't know what might happen, right? If you give women a little more space and room to do things beyond managing their appearance, what else are they going to start doing on top of the already cool things they're doing? Yeah, the permission, permission aspect for sure. Um, Thank you so, 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 so much. (laughs) It's been my pleasure. Um, Uh, I am so honored. I feel like I just spoke to, I'm not even going to say celebrity because that doesn't do (laughs) Um, I also, I don't think I showed you this at the beginning, but like, I'm going to move the camera a little bit. Oh, I love it. Yeah. That is your book on the shelf. That makes me so happy. Yep. So happy. And <laughs> literally changed, like changed me. And it, it's a process. And I think um, one thing that I want to give our listeners is 
a lot of this is is overwhelming and you don't make it that way in your book. But when I talk about it, I find myself overwhelmed. And what I keep going back to is like, I just want to be that breath of fresh air. Like, I just want to be that one woman who orders, who's like on a first date and is like, yeah, I do want dessert and I'm going to eat it all and you're going to watch me. Or that one person that doesn't, you know, uh, involve herself in that conversation. I mean, you look so pretty, but like in my thighs, you know, um, like I just want to be that one person that like breath of fresh air, that permission granting human being where like, you don't have to be that way around me, you know? And that's like, what gives me hope. I love that. I think that's an awesome message of hope. Yeah. You're awesome. Thank you so much. Where can we find you, um, dive more into your work and all the goods. Um, I'm a, a rare poster on Instagram, which is at beauty underscore sick. Um, and you can find more about my lab's research at bodyandmedia.com. Um, or you can find out more about beauty sickness at beautysick.com. Awesome. I'm going to put that all in the show notes, bodyandmedia.com. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Renee. It has been a pleasure and honor. Um, and I look forward to seeing more of your work. Thank you so much. It was great meeting you. (laughs) You too. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.